to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And come, let us adore him. While we sing about uh, Christ and the Advent and we, we, we think about the wise men, everyone coming and the shepherd the worshiping and adoring uh, the, the Christ child, really it's also about Christ's return. When, when we all gather to him and he'll put all rule and authority under his feet, when he assumes control of this world that he created, right now we're on our own and he lets man do whatever he wants to do. Praise God. And whomsoever will, let him come. But when he returns, then he will gather his people. He will gather the nations and he will rule. And we will come and we will adore him. We will magnify him. It's that time our knees shall bow, our tongues confessed. Indeed, he is Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad. Hallelujah. I'm not only about the past, but what the future is going to be. Hallelujah. God told us a long time ago how it's going to be. He told ahead of time how Christmas is going to be. And he told us exactly how his second return is going to be. And what the world conditions will be like and what that will do for us. This morning, I'd like to focus your attention on uh, a, a very wonderful scripture that you're familiar with. Uh, and I've not focused on this subject very much in my uh, preaching ministry that I can remember, but I really was felt led by the Spirit to focus on this, uh, and that's Isaiah 7:14. And Isaiah here, 700 plus years before the birth of Christ, the Messiah, the promised seed of the Redeemer, uh, we get a glimpse of, of one more prophecy uh, into God's plan, and it involved a virgin. A woman who's had no intimate sexual relations with anyone prior to this. And so Isaiah in 714 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew says it's being interpreted God with us. And indeed it is. God with us. Praise the name of the Lord. I want to focus this morning for a few minutes on Jesus, born of a virgin. Jesus, born of a virgin, because he was. And what a marvelous, marvelous fulfillment of prophecy that was. And we thank God for it. And it's part of the Christmas message. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this part of the Christmas message that's so relevant and so important. And Lord, help us to open our hearts, our minds, that faith would enter in, that we would receive your word, that it would strengthen us, and that it would change us, that it would prepare us, O oh Lord God, amen, that we would make room in our hearts for you and to prepare for your soon coming return. Lord, in Jesus' name, bless this congregation and bless the remainder of the service, and we pray that someone would be strengthened and edified and encouraged today in Jesus name amen God bless you. you may be seated thank you for being in the house of the Lord today hallelujah praise God the birth of Jesus Christ is the central theme of the Bible the Old Testament points to the fact that he's coming the New Testament Gospels basically announce that he's here and the rest of the Bible is dedicated to the fact that he is coming again and so the 
the, the central theme is, indeed, from beginning to the end, that Jesus is coming, that there's coming a seed of the woman. The very first promise and a prophecy made by God to mankind is Genesis 3.15, which has to do with, uh, with the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman, that is Eve. Eve, the woman, was the instrument of the fall of mankind, and therefore God always turns the tables on the devil in kind. And because the woman was the instrument of the fall, woman would become the instrument of salvation. And so he says uh, in Genesis 3.15 that it will be the seed. Listen to the prophecy. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Is God talking to Satan uh, who's embodied the serpent and tempted man and, and, and woman? He said, I will put enmity or struggle, strife between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It, her seed, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. He's talking about the final victory of that seed of the woman that will destroy Satan. Bruise his head. Amen. But you will bruise his heel. In other words, when you, when you injure somebody here, you don't kill them. It's just temporary. Amen. That's what Calvary was. Amen. It was the bruising of the heel. It was a temporary victory over, uh, over God's plan, so to speak. He thought it was, but it wasn't at all. It was all in God's plan, hallelujah, that Christ would come and redeem mankind, shed his blood, and redeem all of mankind. But it all focused on the seed of the woman. And Isaiah's prophecy ties in with that. And, and he gives this prophetic utterance that therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Hallelujah. So the Old Testament prophesies about it. The New Testament proclaims that he's here. And the Bible both prophesied and proclaimed the virgin birth of Christ. That the Messiah would come from a virgin woman. Hallelujah. The Messiah. Well, how can that be true? And it challenges our, our faith and challenges our thinking. Uh, and so this is why I want to address the subject today. Because the virgin birth is central to the message of Christmas. Hallelujah. You know, God can do the extraordinary. He doesn't have to do things the usual way. We expect things to take place and occur uh, the usual way. But God is not used to doing that. He wants to, he wants to let us know that he's in control and he can do the supernatural. Something that is above the natural. Something that's more than ordinary. Praise God. And so when we look at the, uh, uh, the, the uh, virgin birth and we look at the story of, of how Mary uh, was overshadowed by the Spirit of Almighty God, uh, I, I look to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to uh, look at this chapter and do some extensive reading for you this morning. So bear with me if you would. Uh, but uh, I will begin with uh, Zacharias, that Levitical priest uh, who is uh, ministering in a temple. And he's older now, and so is his wife, Elizabeth. And I say this because this story is integral to Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel. And it's, uh, it, it fits so well because, uh, because when, when, when Zacharias' wife... Uh, uh, Elizabeth 
uh, miraculously gets pregnant in her old age when she's past childbearing age, the angel Gabriel six months later will use that to encourage Mary and to point to this fact that her, her cousin Elizabeth is now pregnant when everybody thought that she's past childbearing age and there's no more hope for them to have children. And so I want to start with that and let you know what happened. I think most of you know that uh, both of them, uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias, were from the house of Levi. As you know, the Levitical tribe in Israel were the ones that were pegged by God to serve as the priests uh, in all of the tribes of Israel. And so around the tabernacle and the temple, it was the Levitical priesthood that served God around the temple and the things of God uh, all those many, many centuries. And, and Elizabeth herself was of the house of Aaron. Aaron, the brother of Moses, in fact, the older brother of Moses, served as the first high priest. And his descendants were to be also priests to minister before God. And Elizabeth, uh, Zacharias' wife, was a descendant of Aaron. And so Zacharias is now in the temple ministering because he took lots and who serves when and what hour, what shift. Hallelujah, it was very well organized and very well orchestrated. And so he goes in there to, to go through the rituals of putting oil on the candlestick, partaking of the showbread, and then burning incense. And while he was burning incense on the altar next to the veil, that it goes into the holiest of holies, an angel appears to him, and that's Gabriel. And Gabriel appears and tells him that, he, that his wife is going to have a baby. And uh, that it's going to happen. And in fact, the angel says that your prayers are answered. They're heard. You know, God hears our prayers when we think that, that they're not heard. Hallelujah. And I think uh, Zacharias, uh, being so close to God, uh, as next to that veil, to the holiest of holies, um, uh, recognized the presence of God. And uh, certainly when the angel appeared, he says uh, in verse 13 of chapter 1 of the book of Luke, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. The altar incense is, is all a symbol about prayer. It's, it's incense ascending up to God. And as he's ascending uh, this, this, this incense uh, before the Lord and honoring him and praising him, he's praying his own prayer, oh God, would to God I'd have a child. And you know how much my wife and I would love to have a baby. We've not had. And the angel appears. And Your prayer is heard. And then the angel Gabriel begins to prophesy. This is about John the Baptist. That he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now that's not to mean that he, spoke, he will speak in tongues. When he spoke in tongues, a man in, his, in the mother's womb, in, in the Old Testament context, filled with the Holy Ghost, refers to being anointed for a special purpose, for a special task. Amen. In fact, John in the gospel mentions to us that, that, uh, that the Holy Ghost had not yet been given. And that was not given as the way you and I experience it until Acts chapter 2. But that the Spirit of God would come upon John the Baptist for a special task. And indeed, he performed a special task in proclaiming the name of the Lord before he appeared. Verse 16, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was the role of John the Baptist. Zacharias, I had his doubts. So how, this, how can this be? I mean, he said, well, you know, as a sign, you're going to be dumb now until the child is born. Zipped his mouth. Hallelujah. He became dumb. He could not speak again. And the Bible says that the people outside the temple, you know, were waiting. I mean, you know, there's only one at a time in there. Everybody can't go in the temple to, you know, to, to do this, what, what Zacharias was doing. So they were waiting. He says, what's keeping him so long? And finally he comes out and this man can't talk. Imagine him trying to explain to the other priests waiting on him what happened. How could you say it's You know, he's... And he, they gave him a tablet finally, you know, and, and I'm sure he tried to explain things as, as best as he could. But the Bible tells us in verse 21 that people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now, it came to pass, verse 23, that as soon as the days of, the, of his ministration were accomplished, his shift was over. He departed to his own house. Uh, imagine trying to tell his wife. And he's dumb. He can't use words. Honey, we're going to have a baby. Couldn't say that. Imagine trying to explain to him. Now, she's past. The, uh, the age of, of, of bearing children, and he's past the age of producing children. They were old now and stricken in years, the Bible says. They couldn't have any children. Not by the ordinary means. They imagine Zacharias trying to explain to her. I saw an angel. Why are you trying to act like a chicken? What are you trying to tell me? Honey, it's you and me. Imagine without words, trying to be romantic. Now, I'm sure he must have taken a pen. Now, I know that both Zacharias and, uh, and Elizabeth were Levites. And for sure we know that Levitical... Folks were for sure literate. They had to be to know the word of God and to teach it. They would know how to read and to write. And there was, I believe, Zechariah sitting down, writing on everything he could, trying to explain what happened to him in the temple. And finally, <laughs> she gets it. And the Bible says, you know, well, not in so many words. I'm, I'm interjecting here. I'm ad-libbing. You know, faith without works is dead. Hallelujah. The angel said this is what's going to happen. So they have to believe the promise. Then they have to put action to their faith without works. Amen. So they went to work. Amen. They, they put work behind their faith. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. And verse 24, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. Didn't tell anybody. She said, thus the Lord hath dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me and take away my reproach among men. She was overjoyed, but she didn't dare tell anybody. And I think she had good reason. I mean, you know, put yourself in her shoes, at her condition. Maybe she was afraid. Maybe that's, that, that baby, you know, something would happen and she could not bring it to full term. And that was a legitimate concern. I think all of us would have that. But, but. She, did, she hid herself. She didn't tell her relatives. She didn't even tell Mary. Nobody knew. Five months. And then the Bible continues in verse 26 that in the six months, the sixth month of her pregnancy, Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, this is what we know about Mary as is described to us here. Number one, she lived in Nazareth. Number two, she was a virgin. Number three, she was a descendant of King David, and she was engaged to be married to a man by the name of Joseph. And the angel came into her and said, Hail, Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when he, she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and the human legal descendancy through King David. Verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary answered unto, her, unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing, I know not a man. Now, the biblical term uh, for sexual intimacy is knowing. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she bare Cain. Adam knew his wife again, and she bare Abel. And knowing, it's, it's a discreet way of, of saying uh, that, that there's, there's a sexual intimacy, knowing. And so she's using that expression, and the, the way that King James explains it as well, or expresses it, is that Mayor Mary said, how can this be, seeing I don't know any man? I have not had any kind of sexual intimacy with anybody. Praise God. Now, somebody says she was a young woman, and she was. Amen. Uh, the Bible says virgin. In the Hebrew term, it is almach. Almach. And it's used, it can be used for young woman. In fact, some uh, unscrupulous translators have tried to change that, that prophecy that it would be a virgin and say it was just a young woman. It doesn't have to be a virgin. Uh, but the, the truth is, in fact, only one, in, one Bible translation uses young woman instead of virgin that I'm aware of. But the, the, the problem is, what was saying young woman, is that every instance in the Old Testament, when they use the word Alma in Hebrew, always refers in context to a virgin, pure, without any sexual intimacy. 
But when they come to Isaiah 7, 14, that's the only place they want it to mean a young woman. Because that woman, the, the, the term Alma not only means virgin, it means a young woman. It also means a young woman who's now marrying age. She's mature. She's that point where she can conceive and she's, uh, she, she, it, she can be married. But praise God that as young as she was, her parents did their job. She knew about the birds and the bees. She said, well, how, how can this be? How can I become pregnant without the usual way? You see that? Thank God for parents that teach their children about human sexuality. Mary knew it. And that's why she questioned the angel. How's this going to happen? I don't doubt it, but how? I don't know what all, he said, what's, what's recorded for us is, uh, the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. It's going to be a spiritual experience. God is going to come over you, and this power can cause it to happen. And you're going to feel it. You're going to know it. It's going to be supernatural. It's going to be out of the ordinary. It's not the usual way. In fact, now he uses the example of Elizabeth, her cousin, to strengthen her faith to receive this promise. He says, and behold. Now, he says, look, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. In other words, see if it can happen to her. If God can bring forth a child from a womb that is dead and empty and barren, he can cause a child to come forth from a womb that has not been penetrated by human seed. I am the creator of life. I am the resurrection of life. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. God is the author of life. And this is not such a big deal for him. Hallelujah. And so she was surprised. Because you see, this is the first time that any of, besides Mary, and rather Elizabeth and, and Zacharias, knew that Elizabeth is pregnant. This is the first time that Mary hears about it. That's her cousin. And six months goes by, and she hasn't heard about such a great miracle. But the angel declared to her, and declared to her to strengthen her faith and say, well, if it can happen to her, it can happen to me. And then verse 37, the angel finished by saying, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Well, in that case, here I am. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Hallelujah. What an amazing story. Soon as she said, Behold, thy handmaid, be it unto me. I believe that the Holy Ghost came upon her right then there at that experience. And the Bible says uh, in the very next verse, in verse 39, And Mary arose in those days, in these days that this happened. She had that experience, experience and went into the hill country with haste. She was running. 
She was running cousin Elizabeth into a city of Judah. We're not told where Zacharias and, and Elizabeth lived, but it's the city of Judah. And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Means she hugged her, kissed her on both cheeks, Jewish custom style. That's what it means. As soon as she did that, Mary, Elizabeth felt the baby, John the Baptist, leap in, her, leap in her womb. She felt something special. And immediately she spake out with a loud voice, Elizabeth did, and began to prophesy. The Spirit of God came on her. She said, uh, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, uh, that, uh, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? L-O-R-D, Jehovah. Because see, that, that little baby, that, that thing that's formed in her, wasn't just another baby. It was God with us. God robing himself in flesh. Imagine that. God restricting himself. Restricting himself to humanity. To experience birth and life. Pain. Ridicule. Rejection. Hurt. Death. Burial. And then resurrection. So he can identify with us and we can identify with him. God did that for you and I. That's the purpose of the Christmas story. That's the purpose of him coming through Mary into Bethlehem. Is to be that Lamb of God, God with us. To provide the means of redemption and salvation for mankind. And Elizabeth is, is prophesying about it. And verse 45, and blessed is he that... Uh, is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told of her of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And indeed it is, we do. All these years. The name of Mary has been so popular, still is in many ways. And we're still talking about her 2,000 years later. Verse 49, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. You see, she already knows that she's pregnant. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm, etc., etc. I'll jump down to verse 56. She finishes her prophesying and her exaltation uh, in verse 55 and verse 56 of Luke chapter 1, it says, And Mary abode with her, Elizabeth, three months and returned to her own house. She stayed three months with Elizabeth. So here's both of them pregnant. Now, when she first arrived, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And Mary's just now pr uh, pregnant. She stayed three months. So now she stayed up to the time that about the time that John the Baptist was born. And then she went back to her village in Nazareth. And imagine three months later. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, you know, if you're married, if, if you know, your wife has had a baby, by three months, you got a little belly bump. Now, she's been gone three months, and there's Joseph at home. And now Joseph sees Mary, and Mary says, surprise. Imagine her trying to tell Joseph the story of what happened. 
Would you believe it? It's never happened before in Scripture. And here she is, she is referring to the angelic manifestation. I'm only, I'm only pu- putting this together, you know, and assuming because of what, what the story tells us next in Matthew chapter 1. See, the progression, the chronological progression is Luke chapter 1 first and then Matthew chapter 1. And then goes to Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. That's, they're skipping back and forth to put the chronological order into proper place. So when you go up to chapter 1 and you, you begin to see um, that finally Joseph accepts the fact that she's pregnant, but he, he really doesn't believe her that, it, that there was an angelic manifestation that, that God overshadowed her. Why? Because of his actions. In, in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew, says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused or, or engaged to be married to Joseph, before they came together, before they were sexually intimate as husband and wife, she was found with child. And, of course, Matthew puts it in right away so that there's no doubt of the Holy Ghost. When she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, then her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now, when the Bible talks about putting away a woman that you're espoused or to be married to, it's talking about divorce. In the Hebrew culture, as you know, when you're espoused, when you engage somebody, you're as good as married. And violating even your espousal time is like committing adultery. It was a serious offense to violate that, that engagement. And so in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, we see here Jesus using this word of putting away his wife. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving or except for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, etc., etc. Just putting away... Joseph was minded, his intent was to divorce her. And so we know that when when Mary got back from Elizabeth's house to Nazareth and told Joseph what happened, he did not believe her. Not at first. And this is why it's important to pick up the story where she is now in, in, in verse 19. Joseph, her husband, didn't want to make her public example. What does it mean? Well, when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter what is it, 22? It says, if a damsel that is a virgin, Mosaic law, if a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto a husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, meaning has sexual relations, then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, espoused, engaged, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. It's a serious matter. And instead of bringing Mary to the, to the, to the elders of the city, because verse 17 of uh, Deuteronomy 20, you'll see that they have to uh, bring uh, the matter to the elders of that city, and uh, they shall make judgment. In that particular case. And this is what Matthew is talking about. That, that, that Joseph didn't want to put her through all that. First of all. Uh, under the Mosaic law. You have to have at least two witnesses. And that's why the death penalty. In, in, in moral 
cases and, and fornication and adultery was not carried out for the simple, simple lack of witnesses. You have to have two people at least to witness it. And the two people, the witnesses, also have to be party to execute in the judgment. They have to be the first ones to throw the stones that would kill them. So your testimony mattered. And this is why you think about John chapter 8 when they, they caught that woman adultery. You know, Jesus was teaching at the temple. And here's this crowd bringing this woman who was, they say, caught in the act of adultery. In the very act. And Moses said, you know, that we ought to stone her death. But what do you say? Well, you know the story. He who is without sin, let him throw the, cast the first stone. And they all walked out. Here's the thing. They say they caught her in the act, and they, they, they were the witnesses. The law called for the man to be there as well. You have to get both of them. And since the man wasn't there, there was every evidence to say that they were lying on her. Where's the man? If you caught her in the very act, where's the guy? Are you a witness to it? Nobody. And the Bible said they dropped their rocks one after the other and they walked out. Because there were no witnesses, really. They were lying. And under the Mosaic law, if you lie in the death penalty and you cause somebody's death and you're found out, you're going to suffer the same fate. You're taken out and you're executed because you have witnessed falsely. I guess somebody else who lost their life. So what I'm saying this for is to, for you to understand that this matter of Mary being pregnant was very serious in Jewish culture and in the Jewish mindset. And Joseph, in his, in his first you know, hearing of, of Mary being pregnant, was not taking very well. And so uh, this is why God had to intervene. Uh, and, and, and he said he was minded. The Bible says he was minded to put her away. Uh, didn't want to make her a public example and put her through a trial and all that. Uh, but verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which, hath, which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now notice, he, with Mary, the angel came in a daytime. It was a daytime vision. With Joseph, he came at night in dream. You know why? God uses dreams and visions, dreams particularly, to get around our inhibitions, our walls, our resistance to God. You know, in the daytime, he was so preoccupied with his motivations and thinking and, and how he's going to carry out the divorce, what he's going to do. And he's so, his mind is in turmoil with all the facts that God couldn't penetrate his thinking while he was awake, thinking about all that stuff. And sometimes God does the same thing with us. We're so busy thinking about so many different things and hearing so many voices. We, we, we listen to, to radio, television, music, everything all day long. And we're talking and yakking and hearing. We feel ourselves that there's no room for his voice. So God had to wait till Joseph laid his, down, his head down to sleep that night. And he came sending an angel in a dream and gave him the message, Joseph... Don't be afraid. For that which is conceived under indeed is of God. It's the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That was enunciated by God to Joseph as well. And right after that, verse 24, then Joseph being raised from sleep, he said, my word, this is of God. This is a miracle. This is God's plan. And the Bible says that he believed it. You know how we know he believed it? Because the Bible says he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He believed it, finally. And he did exactly what God had planned and what God wanted him to do. And he took him uh, unto him, his wife, and knew her not. In other words, he, they didn't have sexual intimacy as husband and wife until she had brought forth her firstborn and son. And he called his name Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. He finally accepted it. Now, it's interesting, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's debate out there whether or not Mary and Joseph had other kids, but we know they did. Mark chapter 6 tells us in verse 3 when, uh, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, and it's his first time back when he began his public ministry, and the people in his home village and hometown just didn't want to receive him, didn't honor him, because you know, as far as they were concerned, he's the carpenter's son. And he's now the apprentice carpenter, and now he's got illusions of grandeur, and he's out there preaching and teaching. In fact, his relatives had to come one time and try to retrieve him from a house, but there's so many people crowding it, teaching and preaching, that, that they, they thought he was beside himself. Well, who were these relatives? Well, he had brothers and sisters. So in Nazareth, when he was teaching in the, in, in the, uh, the, the synagogue, they, on the Sabbath day, they began to say, where does this guy get so much wisdom? They were astonished. Where, who taught him? Verse 3, is, it, is this, it's not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of, get this, James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? He had four brothers, half-brothers. And... It says, and are not his sisters, plural, with us? So in the household, it wasn't just Mary and Joseph. After Jesus was born, there were four brothers, one after the other, at least two sisters. That's six other siblings, half siblings. Now, as soon as Jesus was born, on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph, we read, took Jesus to the temple. And it was there that Simeon and Anna both prophesied over him. And they further got confirmation, Joseph did at least, that this is of God, a fulfillment of prophecy. And then when Jesus is 12 years old, that's the last time we ever read of Joseph. They go the annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice and do what they need to do. And you know where Jesus stayed behind when all the family started going back home to Nazareth? He stayed and he was in a temple at age 12 teaching and, and talking and asking questions from the doctors of the law. And everybody was impressed. This little 12-year-old young man, how does he know so much? And the Bible says that Mary and Joseph came. They were looking for him. But they came 
And, and the Bible says that he submitted himself to them. And he grew in wisdom and in stature and in, in favor with God and man. Hallelujah. In other words, that was it. That's all we know about Joseph until Jesus was at least 12 years old. We don't know when he passed off the scene, but he fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled his role. And later on, we don't read anything more about him. Um, and nothing else is, is mentioned. Praise God. So the virgin birth, it's so important. So important. Because it is a miraculous birth. And we are basically given this story to remind us that everything about God is miraculous. Amen. God can perform a miracle in your life. God can do anything. The angel Gabriel said this much to Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes I know there are people out there who have a hard time believing this virgin birth, but again, remember that God is the author of life. And it's interesting that some people will believe that God created man, but somehow they can't believe the virgin birth. Now, if you think about the time when God formed man out of the dust, and the Bible says in Genesis 2-2, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, <sighs> he became a living soul. Here's a bunch of dust. Form it. And all of a sudden, God says, <sighs> became a living soul. How did he do that? That's totally out of the ordinary. There's no man, no woman, no sexual intimacy. In Genesis 2.15, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, every creature you see, was formed out of the ground. God did that. Genesis 2.21-23, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. You talk about general anesthesia. They had it before there was medicine as we know it. Open up the flesh, took a rib. I must say, you know, Adam, the word rib and cell means the same thing. It's the same word. So whether he took an actual rib or he took, but I think he, he did. I left some left for Adam for that to grow back. You know, bones grow back. A lot of them do. Hallelujah. But he took that rib and opened up the flesh and, and, and he put it back together again. And closed up the flesh instead thereof. He, the first surgeon. God can do whatever he wants. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her under the man. Hallelujah. If you're single, allow God to bring you your mate. Don't, don't go around trying to, some, to steal somebody else's rib. Give me that. No. Let God do it. Let God lead you to your mate, not your flesh. And verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of Man, don't you know God is a miracle worker? Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, some of these things, it's hard to understand. 
Uh, and that's because we're spiritually discerned, as the King Jesus says. We're not sensitive spiritually. 1 Corinthians 2.13-16 says this, and I read in the New Living Translation. We speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. We who have the Spirit understand these things, but others can't understand us us at all. How could they? For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who can give Him counsel? But we can understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. As so it is with the virgin birth. You can't understand it through human reasoning. It defies human reason. But that's why God is God. How does creation fit into your narrative and your reasonable thinking? Taking some mud and dirt and then creating a human being out of it. The complexity as you and I are in all of our our biological systems that, that we have. You know, the circulatory system, the nervous system, and elementaries, all the things that pertain to human body is complex. And scientists have the goal, who supposed to go by scientific principle, to say that we came out of a single cell amoeba, single cell, and became the complex creature that we are. That through a process of evolution, we have become better and better and better through millions of years of existence. And here we have this complexity when nowhere in history, nowhere in any physical record or repeatable experiment in a scientific lab can you prove that a simple, one single cell, anything can evolve into a higher process. Oh, they say, well, you know, it just requires time. Well, there's no example to it. There's no scientific empirical evidence to the contrary. The only way that you can take something simple and make it more complex is if you had a creator. If you had someone with the power and the intelligence to make it happen. And thanks be to God that we have that. We have that in Jesus Christ. That's who God is. Hallelujah. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Stand with me if you would. Andrew, if you would come. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, Jesus said you can't even see the spiritual kingdom until you're born again of the water and the spirit. And he came to open your spiritual eyes and mine that we may see what a great miracle working God he is. Christmas The first Christmas was not like it is for us today. No Christmas trees, no Christmas songs, no exchange of gifts. Quite the contrary. It was Mary and Joseph in a stable. The wise men didn't even show up until almost a year and a half, two years later. When Jesus was just a young child. But the miracle of God coming down and confining himself to human experience, to a human body. And I think no song explains it better than that one written by, was it Mark Lowry, Tim Lowry, Mark Lowry? 
Hallelujah. Mary, did you know? Understand that really, when, when, when Mary was holding that little bit, that was God. That was all God. How could that be? Well, God is a spirit, the Bible tells us. God's everywhere. He doesn't only fill the universe. It's the opposite. It's the universe that fills him. He's a spirit. He's infinite. Omniscient. Omnipotent. He's everywhere at the same time. Omnipresent. But he can choose to manifest himself in a certain place at a certain time, in a certain way. And when he came in human flesh, he chose to express himself in a human form. And all that was in that flesh was God. But there was more to God than that, just that flesh. Everywhere. That's why Jesus, even when he was grown up, there's God in the flesh, this twofold nature, you know, divinity and humanity and spirit and flesh. He said, you know, my father is greater than I. The spirit that fathered me, that spirit that overshadowed Mary, is a lot, lot greater than this humanity. But my father and I are one. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He came to Bethlehem for you and I so that he can die on the cross and shed his blood. He only lived 33 years. But thanks God to be to God that enough witnesses recognized who he was. But imagine this, this unique experience for Mary. And his virginity becoming an expectant mother. And then when that child is born, he's holding God in the flesh. The God that humbled himself. I talked about this last week. What humiliation. Imagine God restricting and confining himself to a tiny body or even just a human body. He's so much more than that flesh. But he proved that he was God. But imagine every time that Mary hugged that child, every time she kissed him, she was loving God. She was loving God in the flesh. What a privilege. What a blessing. I don't know of anybody else that kissed him except Judas and betrayed him. Mother Mary. You know, there's no love like the love between a mother and a child. Nothing like it. You can imagine what, what suffering emotionally and in here to her heart she felt when she saw her son on the cross. Imagine how her heart was ripped apart. But it all began with the miraculous birth. Hallelujah. And I know the theme today is making room for Him. I pray that as you see all that God did to prepare the way for His coming, understand that God does everything according to a plan. And He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you and I. And if you would just let Him reorder and, and just 
Turn your life around. He can do it. You say, oh, I, it's too hard. I, I, I don't think that, that he can change my life. I don't think that he can, he can do the things that I really need. Listen, he can do anything. Nothing is too hard for God. He can deliver a drug addict from drugs. He can deliver a, an addict from alcohol. He can change the immoral lifestyle of a person and make him a saint. God is the only one that can turn an ink into a saint. He loves us. He loves us so much that he humiliated himself in coming in the form of a child so he can die for you and I. Have you ever doubt the love of God? Just look at Calvary and look at all that he's gone through according to his plan so he could, you, he could say, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. I've been there. I know what it's like to be hurt, to be rejected. In fact, I really feel in the Holy Ghost to say this. You know, back in Deuteronomy 22, when it talks about the law of executing someone who was immoral, let me share this with you from verse 25. If a man find a betrothed damsel in the field and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him like manslaughter, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. What am I saying? There may be someone in here today that has been abused sexually, and nobody knew about it, and you couldn't tell anybody, and you've been hurting over that. And the devil made you feel guilty, like maybe it's your fault. God says... With respect to that offense, you are not guilty. You're not at fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You're not worthy of any sin. Hallelujah. And I'm here to tell you, God loves you. God loves you. Team, would you come? Hallelujah. As we sing this song, I'm open to these altars. I'm going to ask you to call upon God and Ask him what his plan is for your life. If you need a miracle, he's a miracle worker. Whatever changes you need to make in your life, he can help you. So, oh, I tried that. Did you give God a try? Come on. Give him a chance. Give him a try. Yield to him. Yield to him. He loves you. He can make a difference. He can do things that are out of the ordinary. He's a miracle working God. Praise God. Would you close your eyes, lift your hands and worship him?